Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. How'd you like that, Jim? You complained last week about the noises I make at the beginning of the show. I'm turning it up. Ow! Jim, say something. Never mind. Hey, we got a great show planned for you today. We don't need Jim to talk. That's actually a good thing. The less Jim talks, the more I talk. The more I talk, the more you love it. Happy Monday. Happy start of the week. Happy day after Sunday of NFL football. So your Fantastic show. Hey, don't interrupt me. You missed your opportunity. <laughs> Uh, great, fantastic show planned for us today. Uh, we've got a special in-studio guest, Dennis Evans, the former uh, sportscaster uh, who's been making some appearances on the show. He's actually here in Nashville today. He'll be sitting with us right here in studio. Uh, Uncle Jimmy, I'm kind of, no, never, I'm not talking to you, I just remembered. Anyway, Dennis Evans will be here and we have a fantastic conversation planned uh, when Dennis gets here, buckle your seats up. Did you see that Adele, the singer, hello, uh, and Rich Paul, LeBron James's right-hand man, is the guy, the agent, the NBA super agent, they've become official. They released a picture over Instagram of them together, uh, Adele and Rich Paul. You guys know, like, Rich Paul's a little short black dude, Adele. Uh, the little heavy set singer that's now lost weight and looks amazing. Not that she always looked good to me. Now she looks like a supermodel, little white girl. They're together now. And so that has sparked a conversation that I've been wanting to have, and we're gonna get into it. Are black men choosing white women? And are black women choosing celibacy, uh, alternative lifestyles, white guys? Are black men and black women headed different directions? We're gonna have that discussion today on this show, and we'll probably do it again tomorrow. Buckle up for that conversation. Uh, Greg Couch, we're gonna go out to Chicago and talk with Greg Couch. He's got a take on Sean Payton and Jameis Winston and how the Saints handled that horrific performance uh, yesterday. Uncle Jimmy uh, will start talking at some point during the show. He's got a Bible story he's gonna share. Look forward to that. That'll be fantastic. But we're going to start with Lamar Jackson and what he did to the Kansas City Chiefs last night. And I'm going to start a fire, and then we're going to go out to L.A. and bring in Steve Kim, my Asian brother from another mother. Uh, but let's get this fire started. Lamar Jackson is unvaxxed, unashamed, and last night he was unbelievably good. He was better than Patrick Mahomes. And now the Ravens might have to give Jackson more money than Kansas City gave its quarterback. Jackson secured the signature victory of his career last night. He overcame an 11-point deficit, a depleted roster, two first-quarter interceptions, and his arch-nemesis, Mahomes, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Baltimore's 36-35 victory on Sunday night football is the most impressive result of Jackson's four-year career. It's more impressive than his 2019 MVP season. More impressive than his January playoff victory over the Tennessee Titans. The knock on Jackson is he can't play from behind. You can't put him in a hole and, and have him dig out of it himself. Mahomes can. Tom Brady can, Aaron Rodgers can. In the NFL, Jackson had never overcome a double-digit deficit. 
He's allegedly not a good enough passer. Well, last night, with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth calling the action, Jackson debunked the myths about his shortcomings. He rallied from a poor start, leading two fourth quarter touchdown drives and finishing with 239 passing yards, 107 on the ground. He snapped a three game losing streak against the Chiefs and Mahomes. Lamar Jackson is here in full force. That was an amazing show he put on last night. Hats off to him. You guys know I'm a Chiefs fan. You guys know I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. But Patrick Mahomes got outplayed last night by Lamar Jackson. Anybody that watched that game realizes that. Lamar looked terrible early, uh, but came on strong. Patrick Mahomes threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. Uh, you know, trying to do too much. Patrick Mahomes gets away with a lot of silly plays. Last night it kind of caught up with him. Uh, but I have to admit, I was one of the original Lamar Jackson skeptics. When he came out of Louisville, I agreed with the scouts who thought he should consider playing wide receiver. I didn't like the fact his mother worked as his agent. Here's what I underestimated about Lamar. The importance of football in his life. I also underestimated the force and strength of his personality. Lamar, like this show, is fearless. His fearless attitude is infectious. It makes him a natural leader. Men like to follow Lamar. The courage of his conviction inspires men to do more. And that's what the Ravens did last night. Last night, the Ravens beat Kansas City, arguably the best team in football, without their best offensive lineman, their two best running backs, and their rookie wide receiver. Missing critical pieces of their offense, the Ravens outscored Mahomes and Andy Reid, the Joe Montana and Bill Walsh of the modern era. The Ravens opened the night playing a tribute to deceased actor Michael K. Williams and his iconic character Omar Little from The Wire. They played Omar whistling the farmer in the Dale. The stadium went nuts. Take a listen to yourself. I'm told our, our editor, Justin, put something together here. Take a listen. Take a listen and a look. Check it out. Something ain't right, yo. Watch out, man. Look on that food. It's packing. Here he comes. Yo. Yo, son, come on. Yo, Omar coming, man. Oh, shit! <laughs> That's my favorite TV show. That's the greatest character on that TV show. Omar Little was the baddest man in Baltimore. Omar shared that title with linebacker Ray Lewis. Lamar Jackson now wears the crown. Lamar coming. He's coming for a half billion dollar contract. Right now, Mahomes' 10 year, $450 million deal is the most lucrative in NFL history. Jackson is still on his rookie contract. Baltimore is likely trying to reach a new agreement with Jackson sometime between right now and the start of next season. He's gonna get more money than even Patrick Mahomes. Baltimore has no choice. Its entire team is built in Lamar's image. The coaching staff and the personnel are all constructed to fit the most unique quarterback in the league. Baltimore is all in on Lamar. The Ravens will have to go all in on a contract. 
Is Lamar's fearless style of play sustainable? That's irrelevant right now. His fearless style is what makes Baltimore successful. That fearlessness includes his vaccination status. The new knock on Lamar is that he's unvaxxed. The vaccination army believes Lamar is being irresponsible by not getting the vax and refusing to talk about his vax status. I love Lamar's defiance. He's 24 years old. He's had COVID. The virus can't harm Jackson. He's doing what makes sense for Lamar Jackson and most of the young men in the NFL. Would be an absolute disaster for the NFL, the Ravens, and the Players Union if the Ravens had to forfeit games because Lamar Jackson stood against the league's stupid COVID protocols. Would the blue check Twitter army vilify Lamar Jackson? Would they call him a coon and an Uncle Tom because he chose his body and his choice? Would MSNBC host Joy Reid, AKA Rachel Maddow, would she attack Jackson the way she's attacked Nicki, Maja- Nicki Minaj? Lamar Jackson is my new favorite player. I want him to lead the Ravens to the Super Bowl while refusing to participate in the vaccination game the government and the NFL are foisting on the American people. Lamar coming, y'all. And I can't wait. Why are you looking at me like that? Can I talk now? I mean, can I? May I? I asked you earlier and you didn't have anything Because I knew what the hell you was getting ready to talk about and I couldn't believe you was getting ready to do it. You don't like Lamar Jackson? No, hell to the no. You don't like M- Lamar, come on, what's not to like about Lamar Jackson? His hairstyle, that stupid ass look he have on his face, and them little dumb ass, oh yeah, I could've played. Where you, where else you want me to stop at? Where, where, what else you want me to say? The fact that he liked to ride a motorcycle and not wear a helmet. <laughs> He's fearless, you, do you ever remember, do you remember being 24 years old, Jim? Yes I, I do. That was like 60 years ago. Jim, you know you where I was. You know where I was at 24 too. years old. Where? Child support court. <laughs> <laughs> I learned from my mistakes. Well, I'm, you used to be fearless too. Before. Man, let me tell you something. Yeah. No, no, let me just say this to you, I, I, and I mean this. It's evident you have no intentions whatsoever of returning to Kansas City, Kansas, do you? Uh, I mean, you you know that they they watching this man. I hope Lamar Jackson uh, makes it to the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson has the personality. Lamar Jackson got the personality of Tito Jackson. <laughs> Are you? Stop it. Stop I'm it. telling you, if Patrick Mahomes is Michael Jackson, then damn it, Lamar Jackson is Tito Jackson. No, nah, bro. I'm nah. telling you. And I, I wouldn't put this on Lamar, but if he is taking a backseat to uh, Patrick Mahomes, he's Janet Jackson. He's in control. <laughs> I just did that off the top of my head. <laughs> That's pretty good. He's in control. If he Janet Jackson, he a black cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's Rhythm Nation, bro. That, that was Rhythm Nation you saw last night. Look, I still like I still like Patrick Mahomes, but damn it, you got to give it up to Lamar Jackson and what he's done and what he's accomplished. Stop, Jim. I'm gonna bring in my Asian brother from another mother. Yeah, bring I'm my sure. guy in here, Steve Kim. I'm sure it's Steve. Uh, agrees with me. And I'm not, I'm not, you ain't got to stop. But Steve, I know, I know how intelligent you are. Steve, mm. I, I mean, you're Asian guy, probably SAT score in the 15, 1600s. I mean, <laughs> I know you agree with me. What the uh, hell is his credit score? <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, <laughs> like 950. Oh, by the way, before he gets started, can I, can, can I say this? Yeah, because of his comment he made yeah. last week. 
Remember that little comment he made? Don't he hey. can make that comment? Okay, but, uh, yeah, but comment. look here, man. Look at all the flack we got. Everybody calling the show talking about how, how long he was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Steve, could you handle? I shouldn't even be laughing at that. Could you well, handle that? Jimmy, first of all, uh, I will never look at tulips as a flower and organ as a musical instrument. But I can say as an Asian, <laughs> you made me laugh. You made me laugh. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> good morning to you guys. My gosh, Stevie. Uh, Steve, let's stay on point. Do you agree with me? Baltimore's got to pay Lamar Jackson. They have to pay. He proved last night that he's a big-time franchise quarterback. He, you know, To me, it was the biggest victory of his career, and I know the guys won an MVP. I know he won a playoff game last year. But on Sunday night football, to, to rally from a deficit, take down the Chiefs and, and Patrick Mahomes, huge hats off to him, pay the man. Agreed. It, look, his play has always um, been proven. Two years ago, won the MVP. You know what I loved? A couple years ago, he wore a shirt that basically said, nobody cares, work harder. I love that message. It wasn't about swag. It wasn't about all this fake tough guy stuff. It was about getting back to work. Now, last night, I heard a comment where he said, okay, guys, we, we didn't win the Super Bowl. We have a game in seven days. That's what a quarterback does. That's the type of guy that you say, in today's game, I will give you a half billion dollars. You are my franchise. So in the words of Terrell Owens, <laughs> that's my quarterback. That's my quarterback. Boom. I told Steve Kim agrees with me, Jim. Okay. And he can agree with you. This is your show. That's what he's supposed to do. Me and Kim talked last night. He don't agree with that. He told me, he said, Jim, I know, I know what you think I'm going to do, but believe me, I'm just saying that to appease the big guy. Go ahead, man. I did hear, Steve. I thought you – someone did no. tell me you thought what Lamar's doing is not sustainable. It isn't, though. Here's the issue. The last two weeks, and I know they've Boom. had some injuries – with J.K. Dobbins and Gus the Bus Edwards. In the last two games, he's been the leading rusher of the Ravens, not only by yards, but also by attempts and average. Now, that's great if you're Jamel Holloway playing at Oklahoma in the wishbone in the National Football League over now what is a 17-game stretch, and you start playing the better teams and the better defenses. You're asking a guy to run around a lot, expend a lot of energy, get hit, and then actually play quarterback. So... I actually think Lamar, the greatest compliment I could give him, and they always say this in basketball, is does a guy make other players better? With his ability to run, when they do that mesh point with that read option and the RPO, everyone has to focus in on Lamar. So any running back, for the most part, and they picked up some older retreads, they look pretty productive because Lamar's unbelievable presence and his quickness and what he can do opens up running lanes that aren't otherwise available. That's where I think he has an, uh, a distinct advantage to his teammates. But I have a question, though, uh, guys. Who's his number one receiver? I'm kind of looking at what they're doing. They have Sammy Watkins, who was the fourth receiver in Kansas City, was never the guy we thought coming out of Clemson. Hollywood Brown is basically a two guy who can really stretch the field. Danny Andrews, solid tight end, but he's not a Kelsey this is where the Ravens have to invest in, I believe, a number one receiver. I know they drafted the guy out of Minnesota. He's injured right now. But there comes a point in time that even Lamar is going to have to play within more or less the structure of the offense and really throw on rhythm. I think that's the next step in his evolution as a quarterback. Look, I was right there with you. And, and 
Excuse me. All of that sentiment, I think, is pervasive. People th- are saying that. I do think Lamar is different, though. And, and, and I say that because we're now into year four. And, and when I look at uh, Ezekiel Elliott, I'm just going to compare him to a running back. I, I see Ezekiel now, I think, in year five. He's backing up. He's no longer, to me, a super premier running back. The kid that backs him up has more spark, more bounce, Pollard th- th- than Zeke. With Lamar, and I know Lamar's only been one year l- less than, than Zeke, but I don't see him slowing down as a runner. One, and I see him running the ball eight to 12 times a game, probably for the next two to three to four years. I think he can handle it. I, I think that unlike Zeke, who struggles staying in shape and who doesn't take football all that seriously and who who Zeke got his payday and now I think he's ready to lay down because he knows he's never going to get another contract better than that. Lamar is actually really, 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 really into football. His identity is built around that. I think that even after he gets the big payday, which I think is going to happen before next season, I think he's going, I don't think he's a guy that's going to say, well, now that I got the payday, let me lay down in the pocket and I only want to run the ball three or four times per game. Now, I could be proven wrong on this. Maybe he gets the $400, $500 million contract and he changes his style of play. But I think Lamar is actually here to revolutionize the game, revolutionize the position. I I would still prefer Patrick Mahomes because I'm old school. But I'm, not, I'm no longer going to insist that Lamar has to change his style of play in order to sustain this success. We're into year four. He's still a magical guy that can, again, facing all those odds yesterday, facing the Kansas City Chiefs, he put it on him, won the game. I'm done doubting the guy. Give him the money. He's going to continue to produce. They built their whole organization around him. He represents that city the way... Ray Lewis once did, the way Omar from The Wire once did. He is Baltimore. Hats off to him. Uh, I expect the success to continue. I, I want to, what do you think about his unvax status and his willingness not to play the vaccination game? That's another thing I like. I love his authenticity. I love his fearlessness. I, I love the fact that uh, he's just not a go-along-to-get-along guy. I, I think that's part of what makes him a dynamic leader and why those guys on that team rally around him. There's no doubt. And, look, if Lamar Jackson was a right tackle, if he was a middle linebacker or a strong safety, I don't think he'd be able to get away with it. But being the quarterback and a dominant one at that, he can actually be the guy that everyone, I don't want to say hides behind, but the one that, that everyone follows. That's what a quarterback's supposed to do. It's not just passing and throwing. It's about leading men. And whether you agree with his stance or not, and I'm sure a lot of people don't, uh, I love the fact he's just saying, oh, no, oh, my body, my choice. I, I don't know why that doesn't apply here. And there's a lot of NFL players taking heat from people that, that don't play the game, that don't make the sacrifices they do, and put an incredible toll on their bodies. Why is it not the right of any individual, whether it's you, me, or Lamar Jackson, to say, wait a minute, well, we're not necessarily anti-vax. We are, are pro-information. Let us have a little bit more data before throwing chemicals into our body. And I, I love the fact that it's being the leader because 
like I said, if it was any other position or a fringe player, this would not fly well. And the stance that he takes, Jason, takes a lot of heat off of every other guy on that Baltimore roster. Have you seen the story in the New York Post where they're suggesting, as I did a couple of weeks ago, that uh, NFL players have fake vaccination cards and fake vaccination passports or whatever, uh, and that they think there's a significant number of NFL players who have faked being vaccinated. I believe it because I've talked to some NFL players who certainly believe it and say they are aware of some teammates who, who claim to have fake vaccine passports or whatever. What do you make of that? All right, well, first of all, it's a little bit different than getting a fake ID to go into a club. I think there's a federal offense. So I'm not going to go out there and say anyone should do this. I wouldn't endorse it. However, uh, there, there's a underlying truth here that no one's saying. This is not about protecting the players, at least not on an individual stage. I felt from the beginning, and I remember you had Mark Schlereth on a couple weeks ago and Bill O'Reilly who were, believed that every NFL player needed to be vaxxed. Like that was their mandate for their own safety and the safety of others. I, I think that's a bunch of malarkey. This edict and these harsh rules and regulations, it's all about protecting one thing, the television partners, CBS, NBC, ESPN, uh, and whoever else, Fox, that does games. Because last year, whether wh why they got the season off, it, it was a little bit stilted. And in my view, the National Football League, led by Roger Goodell and whoever else, they want Sunday night games to have the primetime marquee players, as they do on the Thursday night games, and also the Monday night games. What they don't want anymore are Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday afternoon games like last year. It just felt funny. So when people say, well, they're trying to protect the players, my view is they're trying to protect the Shield and the television partners. That's the truth of this matter. Mm, totally agree with you. Uh, I thought the other story over the weekend, I would rank Lamar number one. Uh, the other story I thought, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders mm, mm, go out mm. to Pittsburgh. Yes. Beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's not that I, th I don't think all that much of the Steelers this year. I, I think Ben is washed up, but I also think the, the Raiders are for real. I think their defense is improved, and I think Derek Carr is going to have, he'll be in the MVP conversation at some point in this season, and maybe even at the end of the season, he'll be in the MVP conversation. I think the Raiders are for real. Jay, let me go Shakespeare here. It was the tale of two quarterbacks, the best of times and the worst of times. And Ben Roethlisberger is doing the reverse R. Kelly. His mind is telling him yes, but his arm is telling him no. It's over. He's no, go he's no ahead on, Steve. Time. Yeah. That's a good uh, one. Hey, nothing wrong with the bump and grind. But so Roethlisberger is no longer that guy. It's clear to me, Pittsburgh, this is going to be his last season. There's already talk of them drafting Sam Howell. They're going to the North Carolina campus looking at him. So they're going to move on. It's been a brilliant career, but it's over. Derek Carr is now a Bugatti. He is a luxury vehicle. And the last couple of years, I keep hearing and reading stories. I'm not an insider that John Gruden is looking around. He's unhappy with Derek Carr. And I'm like, why? First of all, he's a He's at least a top 10 to 12 quarterback. And you talk about the MVP race, Jason. Jason, he's already been in one. 2016, he led a magical Raider run. Team was a little bit fluky, got lucky to win games, but he did some heroic stuff throughout the year. In the last game, he busts his knee, and it took him about two, three years while they retooled that team around him, and he struggled. 
Now he's got some real parts. He's got an elite tight end in Waller. Ruggs can stretch the field. Josh Jacobs is a productive running back when he plays. And I think it is time that John Gruden stops having his wandering eye. Put a ring on him. That's your guy. You can win with Derek Carr. Damn. He went mm. from R. Kelly mm-hmm. to put a ring on it. Ain't that Beyonce? Yes. That's what he said. Uh, yes. That's what he said. <laughs> a wide spectrum here. He told John Gruden. He said, if you like it, you should have put a ring on it. Yes. Told him, said, knock if you hear yes. me. <laughs> yes. Come on, man. Let me just tell you, yeah. David Carr is a damn Fugazi. He ain't no Bugatti. He a Fugazi. Derek <laughs> Carr. Derek. He, David is his brother. Out of the I, I can't tell the difference. Oh, yes, you can, because one of them's good and the other one's out of the league. One of them's playing above their head. Uh, all right. Yesterday's uh, a bad day all the way around for Chiefs fans. Let's go into your real area of expertise, college football. Uh, I think people are trying to make it too much of Alabama's close call with Florida. Uh, Nick Saban is, is the Al Davis of college football, just win, baby. And uh, Alabama kind of fell asleep, let Florida get back into that game. I, I, I got no problem with the way Alabama played. Your thoughts? Well, look, anytime you go into the swamp against a Dan Mullen team, and Dan Mullen is an offensive guru. He knows how to coach 21st century offense. Uh, Emory Jones was more productive than I thought. However, you're right. Anytime you go into Gainesville, you win SEC football. Those road games are a little bit tough. Uh, Alabama's judged on a different standard. But there's an upset alert, guys. October 2nd, there's a team by the name of Ole Miss, led by Lane Kiffin, who has reinvented himself like Madonna. I actually think he's now a real coach and a CEO. And they have a quarterback that I believe should be in the Heisman Trophy run running in Matt Corral. They have a style. And last year they gave him fits. And even with Hugh Freeze, they beat Bama twice. That, to me, is an upset alert. They have the style, they have the tempo, and they have the lane train. That guy's crazy. He's one of the few coaches who I believe can X and O and up, and he's not afraid of the mystique of Saban, given the fact even when he worked for him, he would talk trash about him. You've got to be a little bit crazy to do big things. So that game is circled on my calendar. Mm. Steve closes it out with a Madonna reference. He's on fire today. <laughs> He's on fire. Okay, well, hold on. I got one more reference, Jay. Can I go with this one? And this is just for you. Go ahead. I remember a couple of years ago, you said you didn't like Lamar Jackson's throwing motion. Now, I'm with you. It's not yeah. exactly John Elway or Dan Marino. But you know what? It's kind of like Lamar from Revenge of the Nerds. Remember when he did that javelin throw on behalf of Lambda, Lambda, Lambda? And the thing just flew off like 100 yards? So that's what Lamar Jackson is. He's like Lamar from Revenge of the Nerds. It's not a classic release but it's effective. I'm going to leave you with that one. Mm, you know, Jimmy, he's infringing on your territory. He's making musical <laughs> references, now movie references. Do you know the movie reference? You a movie junkie. Do you know the movie reference he's talking about? He, 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 he went with Revenge of the Nerds, but I have to be honest with you. When you start pulling Revenge of the Nerds, you're pulling it now. I can't I really can't give him that little analogy. I, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, would, equate, I, I would equate it to dodgeball, that said mm. that if you can dodge a ball, you can dodge a wrench. But, you mm. know. <laughs> Jim, now I'm used to, I thought you were going to bring the movie Set It Off into here because there's, there's nothing you can't relate to the movie Set It Off. <laughs> I've never had a conversation with him. Oh, okay. I've never seen from Set It Off. Okay, well, then I, I oh, yeah, well, 
Lamar Jackson remind me of Queen Latifah from the movie Set It Off. <laughs> Remember she had, she had the braids going backwards in her hand? That's how Lamar was running the offense yesterday. Mm. Look around. Kunta left! <laughs> Kunta left! Man, that Kunta ball can't withstand life in the NFL. Get out of here. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, Jimmy. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you, Steve. Great job, as always. They ain't going to uh, be happy till his foot hanging off. <laughs> I don't know if I can get I need to keep make sure you and Steve stay separated because y'all take each other to very dangerous places. I can't believe he started he was Wong. I can't no man, people call me like he's Willie Willie, he Willie Willie Wong. <laughs> you gonna get us thrown off YouTube, man. All right, let me tell you about my uh, good friends at Good Ranchers. If you're looking to have a great dinner that will leave everyone in your family full and satisfied, then our friends over at Good Ranchers are the answer. They've brought some of the best grass-fed cattle and chicken from farms right here in America. That's right, Good Ranchers is bringing you some of the best food that is purely 100% American-made. You can have any one of their food options, such as the Cattlemen or Family Feast bundle, ship safely to your home in specially sealed and seasoned packages. So stop waiting and go order today and bring home a meal that will truly surprise everyone in your household. If you subscribe, you get $20 off and free express shipping. Get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal. Go to goodranchers.com fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. Jim, Susie May, Kirk May, you know, my friends in Kansas City. Ate good ranchers all weekend and kept texting me about it. how great it was and how thankful they were that I had recommended they watched they watched the show religiously. Now they love good ranchers. They can see everybody can see. So Look now you're gonna take all the credit for good ranchers? Why shouldn't I? Y'all you're doing is reading that. You didn't know nothing about what it. I mean, I'm not reading. I'm telling people. I about know, but you didn't know ranchers. nothing about it until then. I understand that, but. Jim, now, I, What's happening, Jim, is people are looking at me exactly. and how good I look. And well, what is Whitlock doing? He's eating good ranchers. And he's exercising. I think he's staying out of strip clubs and staying off of lemon pepper wings, but you can talk your ass <laughs> off. I don't care. There's some actual truth in that. At goodranchers.com slash fearless. Welcome back. All right, Uncle Jimmy, it's time to roll out to Chicago. Shot time. And see Windy what City. the great Greg Couch has to say about uh, the NFL weekend. Uh, I think he focused in on uh, Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints, who uh, fell off a cliff. <laughs> you remember last week, they were the toast of the NFL. Jameis threw five TDs, no interceptions. Uh, yesterday, they got clown shellacked by the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Jameis didn't look too strong. Uh, Greg, uh, what should we make of Jameis Winston in week two? What should we make of the New Orleans Saints in week two? Uh, now a 500 ball club after getting embarrassed by the Carolina Panthers. Well, we should make that they're under a lot of a lot of trouble. I mean, they've got a hurricane and they've got a pandemic. They've got injuries and they just have so many things going on right now that it forced Jameis to have to try to be a leader and run the team and he really wasn't ready to do it. 
And as a, as you know, I'm a college tennis coach. And what I take real interest in right now is watching Sean Payton handle this. He's in a textbook case of what a coach has to do to prove that he's a leader. Okay. He's got so many things going on now and he's got to prove he's got to keep the team together. He's got to keep them believing in themselves. And, and he doesn't have Drew Brees to lean on anymore. I mean, I'm not sure Jameis has been the leading, the starting quarterback long enough for the team to really think of him as their leader. So it's kind of up to Peyton, you know, 15 years there. This was the worst offensive performance they've ever had. His quarterback's not particularly reliable. Uh, eight of his coaches uh, uh, failed the COVID test and they had to sit out. So he's got, you know, only six coaches running around trying to do double duty during a game. He's got a backup quarterback who's out there pretending as if he's a coach running things back and forth. So they're sort of in a shambles situation, right? And But what Peyton has done is interesting, at least from a coaching perspective, is he's talked about no excuses. You know, he, he I like what he's doing in terms of not letting anyone say, hey, we don't have enough coaches here. We've got all these bad things going on. We're homeless, right? They haven't even been able to be in New Orleans for a month, it, not only just for their games, but they can't even, you know, sleep in their own beds, okay? And but Peyton came out and said, well, that's no excuse. You know, we've got to do our job. And that's what Alvin Kamara said. And that's what Jameis Winston said, too. He said, you know, hey, uh, you know, I didn't communicate well enough with the line. So this is a real test of Peyton's leadership. And uh, it's just very interesting from a coaching perspective to see it. I think this is going to be a textbook example. I, I can't wait to see how it comes out. And I think Peyton will will, will take charge and, and it'll work well for him. And the evidence of that is what he did against Green Bay because Jameis became a game manager against Green Bay and he was calm and in control. And, you know, that didn't happen yesterday. You know, Jameis looked like he was in a snowball fight a couple of times. He escaped this one guy and ran around to the side and threw, threw 30 yards downfield while he was falling down face first in the ground. It was embarrassing how bad he was. But so Peyton's got to put it back together and, and I think he's going to do it. I'm... I am a bit sympathetic because I think people that didn't watch the game closely, they just look at Jameis's numbers and they, they don't yeah. get the full context of all the obstacles in front of the New Orleans Saints. I think they maybe nine starters, I think they're missing at this point. Uh, four on offense, five on, I mean, a bunch of players down a depleted roster, <clears throat> eight coaches out because of the COVID protocols. And as, as Greg mentioned here, that you know, they've had the hurricane situation and being displaced. What are you looking at me like that for, Uncle J? What These are relevant. the hell is wrong with you today? What? <laughs> you want to see Lamar Jackson win a Super Bowl? Greg, do you remember the movie from the 80s, 80, 81, 82 called Poltergeist? I remember I, Poltergeist. Remember the movie Poltergeist? Yeah. Remember that part of the movie where the little girl said, he's back. <laughs> That's Jameis Winston. <laughs> he's back. Look, I he think he's going to have some I, crab legs down his pants next week. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's back. OK, but he was back against Green Bay, too. We've seen him play great and we've seen him play terrible. It's going to be on the coach to, to show him you know, how to manage the game. I think the problem with Winston is he's got all these abilities to do amazing things. And then he tries to do them and he loses his head and, and throws interceptions and does crazy, stupid stuff. Now here he is uh, when he managed the game. That game he threw five touchdowns against Green Bay. I think he only had 155 yards passing, right? I mean, it's not like he was throwing the ball all over the place. So I think that's what's going to happen where Peyton's going to have to get him in a managing situation again. Now, it's not that easy when you had to move a guy over to play center who's never played center before and you got to put a new guard in and you've got all these different things going on. 
But I think, you know, Jameis is, you know, Peyton's going to have to roll him out. He's going to have to do little things to protect Jameis so he's not on the run all the time and doesn't have to go on his instincts because I don't think his instincts are that good. I, I, I want to go back to your original point as someone who coaches young people. And, and I did find it interesting, like the Saints did not tolerate excuses yesterday. Not Sean right. Payton, not his players. They followed his lead, his direction. Is that a public face and behind closed doors as a coach? Are you having different conversations with your assistants or maybe even your team? Or, or, or are you just faking it? Do you think Sean Payton actually believes the things he said publicly? And just as a coach, the, the, what you say publicly and what you think privately or what you share among other coaches may be completely different. I think he believes it, and I think he believes that he has to believe it, okay? You know, there's a thing about body language. If you stand in a certain way, eventually you start believing what you're standing for. And I think that's what he believes, and he needs his team to believe that. You know, obviously, I'm a, I'm a tennis coach of a small college. It's not quite the same as an NFL team, but uh, I had my own issues last year, okay? We had the COVID shut down all uh, in-person classes at my school, and a lot of my students didn't handle the online well, and basically just didn't make it academically. And some kids just were depressed from everything going on and they left and the team became a shambles, okay? A little bit like the Saints right now. And what I had to do was take the players who were on the team and just tell them, you know, that yes, you're being abandoned, okay? But you, you're not being asked to do anything you can't do. You have to stay in control of things and look forward and don't look back. You know, the important people on this team are the people who are on this team, okay? And so, in fact, there's a great story I heard. I stole from Bill McCartney. Coaches steal everything from other coaches, okay? But Bill McCartney, the old Colorado coach, used to tell this story about how uh, there's the redwood forest in California. And he says, there are all these huge redwoods, and they're just these skinny little trees, and they grow 75, 100 feet high, whatever. And they're only uh, six or eight feet deep under the ground in the root system. So why don't they just fall down? And the reason they don't fall down is because all those trees in the forest, all their roots come together and they hold each other up, okay? And that's what you have to, I mean, it sounds hokey, but that's what you have to sell your team on. And I think that's what Peyton's going to have to sell the Saints on. And I had to sell my team on it, too. Did it work? Did you guys win any games? <laughs> well, No, we, but it sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it did do, okay? Yes, we didn't, we didn't have a good season, but we beat our big rival, and we came back this year with a positive experience, positive mind frame. We actually start our season Thursday, and I think we're going to be a damn good team this year. You know what that means? Uh, that means you should – now, this is how she looked when I went to the homecoming. She done put on a little more weight since then. <laughs> That's what <laughs> – I don't know if I, I get that analogy. You should have seen her back then. I know how she looked now, but you should have seen her back then. Mm. You know, that whole, that roots analogy reminds me, that's kind of how Joy Reid talks about her weave. And oh. <laughs> just all them roots together kind of hold the weave together and it looks good on her head. Did I, I just screwed this up, didn't I? No, yeah. well, no stop that, because I, I, I respect what she, she wears her hair for the culture. The roots of her hair, she got that black power hair. It just grow and just stick together. You know what I'm saying? All right, thank you, Greg. Uh, thank you. We're going to bounce and keep it moving. We're going to talk about uh, our friends over at Bonner Private Wines. 
they've traveled the world to bring us all the best possible wine. Their worldwide journey led them down to Argentina, and it's here that they found the best Malbec grapes grown at the highest altitudes. Their wines are truly unique and much better than the normal variety of wines you get at the supermarket. They are perfect for a night among friends and family or for a day of hanging out by the grill. And they pair amazingly well with a great steak or some Italian pasta. The guys over at Bonner Private Wines have cracked the code when it comes to getting these rare wines to Americans. And you need to try them for yourselves right now. Visit BonnerPrivateWines.com fearless and you'll get 50% off the wine and 50% off shipping. Just visit BonnerPrivateWines.com fearless. That's BonnerPrivateWines.com fearless. All right, welcome back. As I promised you at the top of the show, I've got a really explosive topic I want us to get into, uh, and we probably gonna get into this topic over the next two days. Uh, today, I'm gonna start the discussion with between myself, Uncle Jimmy, my guy, uh, Dennis Evans, longtime sports uh, caster in Kansas City and Las Vegas and St. Louis and Jacksonville, a uh, friend of mine, obviously going dating back to my days in Kansas City. Uh, I, this weekend, saw over social media the picture of Adele, the singer, and Rich Paul, LeBron James's uh, business partner, the super agent, Rich Paul, the NBA super agent, uh, coupled up with Adele. Adele, to me, the greatest singer right now going. Uh, and Adele's lost some weight and looks amazing now. And, and Adele and, and Rich Paul both, Jim, remember, you remember, obviously, I'm a big fan of uh, Wally's in Beverly Hills. Adele, Rich Paul, they hung out at Wally's. Um, and so anyway, looking at the picture of them two over social media and them announcing themselves as an official couple, it led me to like, wow, we are in an era, and I don't mean this negatively. I'm just mean it as a cultural observer. And again, and as I've said on this show, anybody that knows me knows I got no problem with interracial dating. None, zero, less than zero. Uh, so I don't want people to take it negative. And as Dennis, excuse and, me, excuse me, sister, excuse me, sister, could you touch that white girl in front of you for me, please? Yeah, her, right there. Go ahead. I just, I just want to be clear, no problem. But I do find it fascinating. Like this thing is like now that it's the thing everybody's doing. It's like the Macarena. Uh, it is. Every, everybody's doing it. And it makes me question and want to have a discussion about the culture. And because we hear all the people on television and in broadcasting spots, we just saw Joy Reid last week talk about the culture and it's hip hop culture and it's, it's that is black culture. And have we ever asked the question, does the culture we've embraced, the hip hop culture that we've have embraced and has come to define 
black culture. And then when you turn, when you add in the political culture that we have embraced. And the political culture we've embraced is like, if you're not far left wing and in support of everything the left, the Democratic Party uh, supports, you're not black. And so that means we have embraced basically the destruction of the nuclear family. We've embraced the LGBT movement. We've embraced the phoniness of Black Lives Matter and a very superficial level of appreciation and love and support of black people. We'll do some symbolic things to show support for black people, but real things? Nah, we'd rather do the symbolism. And so, and I'm, I'm not remotely criticizing Rich Paul. If you follow me on social media or follow a thing like, like, I didn't discover Adele's music till three or four years ago. And when I did, I was like, wow, this is incredible. I started telling people about Adele. And they were like, man, Adele's like, she's been around for 10, 15 years. You just now figuring her out. Huge Adele fan. Love Adele. So I, I'm not, but when I look at our culture, it doesn't support black relationships. You, you can't be defined by a hip hop culture that calls black people bitches and hoes and n-words constantly and think that there's going to be some sort of respect that comes out of that that makes you like, oh, when I'm thinking about partnering up, I want to partner with a black woman or to have a black woman say, when I'm thinking about partnering up, I want to partner with a black man. If your culture is hip hop and hip hop is defining black women as bitches and hoes, and hip hop is defining black men as ignorant, just speak properly or accurately about what they say, what's said in hip hop. How is there any mutual respect between black men and black women coming out of this culture that would make them want to partner up in a relationship, have kids, and go through the struggle? As, as Jim and Dennis will be able to attest, marriage is a struggle. It's a marathon. It's the hardest thing to pull off, perhaps in modern times, to pull off a successful marriage. It requires a level of commitment that I just don't think our culture supports, hip hop culture and political culture. And so I look at Adele and Rich Paul, because Adele's like the Aretha Franklin of this generation. And could, let's, let's say at the height of Aretha Franklin's career, she married a white dude, the queen of soul. And who, maybe it did happen, I'll, I'll go to the internet and find out, well, Aretha Franklin, she was 25, 30 years old, she was married to a white, I don't know, but I just don't believe you could be the queen of soul. Uh, and have that be the case. I, I All right, welcome back. As I promised you at the top of the show, I've got a really explosive topic I want us to get into. Uh, and we probably gonna get into this topic over the next two days. 
Uh, today, I'm going to start the discussion with between myself, Uncle Jimmy, my guy, uh, Dennis Evans, longtime sports uh, caster in Kansas City and Las Vegas and St. Louis and Jacksonville, a uh, friend of mine, obviously going dating back to my days in Kansas City. Uh, I, this weekend, saw over social media the picture of Adele, the singer, and Rich Paul, LeBron James's uh, business partner, the super agent, Rich Paul, the NBA super agent, uh, coupled up with Adele. Adele, to me, the greatest singer right now going. Uh, and Adele's lost some weight and looks amazing now. And, and Adele and, and Rich Paul both Jim, remember, you remember, obviously, I'm a big fan of uh, Wally's in Beverly Hills. Adele, Rich Paul, they hung out at Wally's. Um, and so anyway, looking at the picture of them two over social media and them announcing themselves as an official couple, it led me to like, wow, we are in an era, and I don't mean this negatively, I'm just mean it as a cultural observer. And again, and as I've said on this show, anybody that knows me knows I got no problem with interracial dating. None, zero, less than zero. Uh, so I don't want people to take it negative. And as Dennis- Excuse me, excuse me, sister. Excuse me, sister. Could you touch that white girl in front of you for me, please? Yeah, her, right there. Go ahead. I just, I just want to be clear, no problem. But. I do find it fascinating, like, this thing is like now, that it's the thing. Everybody's doing it. It's like the Macarena. Uh, it is, every, everybody's doing it. And it makes me question and want to have a discussion about the culture. And because we hear all the people on television and broadcasting spots, we just saw Joy Reid last week talk about the culture. and. It's hip hop culture and it's, it's, that is black culture. And have we ever asked the question, does the culture we've embraced, the hip hop culture that we have embraced and has come to define black culture. And then when you turn, when you add in the political culture that we have embraced. And the political culture we've embraced is like, if you're not far left wing and in support of everything the left, the Democratic Party uh, supports, you're not black. And so that means we have embraced basically the destruction of the nuclear family. We've embraced the LGBT movement. We've embraced the phoniness of Black Lives Matter and a very superficial level of appreciation and love and support of black people. We'll do some symbolic things to show support for black people, but real things? Nah, we'd rather do the symbolism. And so, and I'm, get, I'm not remotely criticizing Rich Paul. If you follow me on social media or follow anything like, like I didn't discover Adele's music till three or four years ago. And when I did, I was like, wow, this is incredible. I started telling people about Adele, and they were like, man, Adele's like, 
She's been around for 10, 15 years. You just now figuring her out. Huge Adele fan. Love Adele. So I, I'm not, but when I look at our culture, it doesn't support black relationships. You, you can't be defined by a hip hop culture that calls black people bitches and hoes and N words constantly and think that there's gonna be some sort of respect that comes out of that that makes you like, oh, when I'm thinking about partnering up, I want to partner with a black woman. Or to have a black woman say, when I'm thinking about partnering up, I want to partner with a black man. If your culture is hip hop, and hip hop is defining black women as bitches and hoes, and hip hop is defining black men as ignorant niggas, just to speak properly or accurately about what they say, what's said in hip hop, how is there any mutual respect between black men and black women coming out of this culture that would make them want to partner up in a relationship, have kids, and go through the struggle as, as Jim and Dennis will be able to attest, marriage is a struggle. It's a marathon. It's the hardest thing to pull off perhaps in modern times, to pull off a successful marriage. It requires a level of commitment that I just don't think our culture supports, hip hop culture and political culture. And so I look at Adele and Rich Paul, because Adele's like the Aretha Franklin of this generation. And could, let's, let's say at the height of Aretha Franklin's career, she married a white dude, the queen of soul. And who, maybe it did happen, I'll, I'll go to the internet and find out, well, Aretha Franklin, she was 25, 30 years old, she was married to a white, I don't know, but I just don't believe you could be the queen of soul uh, and have that be the case. I, I just, so I'm trying to set the parameters, a foundation for a discussion we'll have today. Tomorrow, I'm gonna bring in uh, a woman, Shamika Michelle, you can follow her over social media. She's written a book called Naked Girl or something. I think it's called Naked Girl. Anyway, she's outspoken, a lot of interesting things to say. I don't want to just leave this discussion amongst men because we may have a very sexist and biased opinion. But I did want to start the conversation here amongst us men and just ask the question and uh, Raise your hand if somebody wants to go first, Dennis or Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've set the foundation for this fire, uh, raise your hand if you want to go first and tell me, uh, Dennis has got his hand up, does our culture that, that we've allowed to define us, does it support healthy relationships between black men and black women? I don't think it does, and I think to take it a step further, our society and the culture that we've set up doesn't support healthy relationships at all between men and women. But when you're talking about black men and black women, we talked about, you know, music and what the culture used to be, the movies and what the movies were about, what the music and the lyrics and the things that people listened to. It was about love. You know, we were a culture about love. There was uh, this romanticism that existed 
that's gone that you really don't even see anymore. You do hear more music and things that are pumped into these kids' minds that don't relate directly to, you know, anything that is supporting to relationships. People, the people I know that are in successful relationships, black men, black women, are people that met in the church, that met with a good, solid foundation. But outside of that, you know, when you get into a lot of the young culture, you see, you know, so many things that don't support that. But I also think, it's, it's also a product of, you know, accessibility. We live in a completely different world. We live in a world where in the 60s, the whole goal that we had was we were going to overcome that. That's what Martin Luther King. That's what the marching. That's what everything was for. And in the process of overcoming, we overcame. People moved. People got into the workplace. People got into completely different environments. And all of a sudden now, you know, Crime isn't the right word for it, but I'm going to say it's a you're talking about a crime of opportunity. Who are you around on a day to day basis as you go and climb up into corporate America? Think about your day to day life and who you're around and who you see on a regular basis. And I think as you put black men and black, you know, white women and white men and black women now all in these in this environment, you have people mixing and mingling and rather than it being even about the race, it starts to be about does this person think like I think? Do they have the morality that I have? Do they talk to me the way that makes me, you know, feel a certain type of way? And I think there is I feel almost sometimes a tension between black men and black women. Heaven forbid, if you're walking with a white woman, it's definitely going to be some tension. <laughs> it's going to be some tension, some eye rolling, some mumbling and some things that are going to be said. But I think we don't have a culture that is supporting relationships, you know, between black men and black women. And it starts extremely young. And I think as it grow, as people get older, I think in some situations it starts to get worse. And we're starting to see the results of that college. Go to college and think to yourself. There are not that many black men on college campuses. Women, black women outnumber black men almost double on these college campuses and then mix in the athletes. And who are the black athletes around? Who do they spend their time with? And you see, you know who they spend their time around with. And that's when the marriages happen. That's when things, you know, things kind of go to the next level. But to me, I see it as a as an opportunity thing. I think. There is a, a weird tension that exists between black men and black women in America. The music doesn't help. The movies don't help. The commercials we talked about a little bit. The commercials don't help. You don't see black love being promoted in a positive way. You just don't see it. And I don't know if what we're seeing makes it more acceptable for people to do it or if it's, you know, something that makes people almost feel like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But that's what we see. I said, you don't not only do you very seldom see a black man and a black woman in a commercial, you you barely see a man and a woman together in commercials anymore. And I think that's that's the reality of where we are. Dennis, you started talking about do people think alike? Do we have morality? And I go back to shared values. That's what's at the heart of successful relationships in marriages, shared values. And so when we have taken on that our values are progressive and they're left wing, and then when you start talking about 
the people that generally speaking have the most success and climb up the ladder, whether black or white, the values that generally create that kind of success aren't left. They're not about set-asides and being treated special. It's about hard work. And it's not saying the left doesn't believe in hard work or whatever, but the people that have success tend to apply, whether they believe in them or not, or whether they espouse them or not, they tend to apply conservative values to their career and the way they operate in a business setting and just go about their life. But all of the values are in the black community are being forced to adopt leftist, Marxist, uh, communist uh, ideology. And so for me, I just, I had a friend that's a minister uh, challenge me this weekend, asked me like, Jason, where are you, you wanna be married? And, and I was like, because for a long time, I, I really didn't. I, I, I just, I wanted to be in a relationship, but I didn't want to be married. And I'm like, yeah, I actually kind of would. And he, goes, and he asked me, he goes, do you care about the race of the woman? And, and for a long time, I actually did. And I made choices, to, to be honest, when I like really evaluated my life and my relationship, I tended to date women in particular white women that I would never marry because I didn't want to be married to a white woman. I thought it would undermine my career. I thought it would uh, impact my ability to communicate with black people and be heard. And, but I've now reached an age where I don't care. I just want someone that shares my values. And I was talking to the minister and was like, and that, that becomes an issue for me and black women because there's none of this left-wing bullshit that I'm on board with. I'm just sorry. Uh, and, and if our whole identity is based around a political point of view, I'm gonna disconnect with a high percentage of black women because I'm just not with it. And then when I, I think, and I was listening to you talk, Dennis, the other thing I was thinking about, <clears throat> the left and a lot of black people have this obsession with what white people think of us. And so when you obsess constantly about seeking the approval of white people, I don't think it should be all that surprising that as a man or a woman, you're obsessed with seeking one group's approval. You think they're more important than everybody else. So why wouldn't you naturally want to partner with the people you think are most important? the people you're obsessed with. And so I, th Rich Paul and LeBron James and that whole group uh, has bought into the left side of the argument and the leftist politics. Uh, LeBron likes to tweet out that, you know, black people, we can barely do anything without the police killing us. Being hunted. Yeah, being hunted and all that. And so there's an obsession with LeBron and his group about what white people are thinking. And again, I'm not criticizing Rich Paul, but when you have that kind of obsession, I'm not surprised Rich Paul has partnered up with Adele before he partners up with Tony Braxton or 
uh, Mary J. Blige or, you know, again, Rich Paul's making enough money. He got access to whatever he wants out in Hollywood. And I'm not knocking him for, for Adele, you know, but for the grace of God and bad luck and maybe extra 7,500 pounds, there go I. <laughs> I was thinking, are you sitting there thinking, I mean, you were talking about how you all went to the same restaurant. Yeah. Tell me in the back of your mind, and don't lie, tell me there wasn't a part of you that thought, damn, I could have had Adele. Like, it, for, for a split second, Jason, come on, Jimmy, you know. I wasn't thinking. For, for I, a split second, he thought, I, I might have had, had a chance. Yeah. I, I could have been in the game. Maybe, you know. No, I, listen, what, what, I, what I would say is like, I wish I could have caught Adele coming through and just taking my shot. You miss all shots you don't take. I would have taken my shot. Would you have shot the shot? Absolutely. You miss all shots you don't take. I would have shot my shot. Uh, but <clears throat> back on a slightly more serious point, because I, 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 Jim, I know, I'm going to let you jump in here. I, I just think we have an obsession with the approval of white people. Doesn't apply to me, but we certainly do. And so it, it doesn't shock me. Again, we have placed them on a pedestal. And so it doesn't shock me that more black men and I think more black women are choosing outside their race. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. But it does to me foretell, uh, I'm not sure if this is the right choice for, because I don't think it's gonna lead to more marriages and more nuclear families. What I think is just gonna lead to more disconnect, more baby mama, baby daddy, more we can have kids, but no, we can't sustain a relationship. We, we can't, you know, you got all these, you got a lot of black Hollywood type men or just men in general, black men that don't even want the responsibility of, of family, of being in control or being a leader in a relationship. That's why we saw Nick Cannon say that, uh, you know, women are totally responsible for the direction of a relationship. It's not on, it's not on me as a man. Anyway, I'm rambling. I'm gonna catch my breath. Jim, what do you got? <clears throat> First of all, I think that we have this conversation, but we as black men, man, we can't act like we've been here and we've been handling our business as men. You know, in my personal opinion, it seems almost like we kind of just came out of the crack era. You know, like we kind of just got out of prison and we finally saying, hey, look, I got myself together. And since that time, the black woman has gone from Anita Baker singing I Apologize, from Sade singing Your Love is King, to Destiny's Child singing Bills, 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 I Need You to Help Me Pay My Bills, these scrubs, to Beyonce talking about I'm independent. You know, some of this we allow- Cardi B talking about what? I don't even have it in my mental Rolodex. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm just simply saying this is what's happened. So we as men, we as black men, especially, we can't act like we've been here and we've been handling. We've been here all these years. No, we ain't. We done got caught up in the legal system. We done got caught up in drugs. We done got caught up in the graveyard. And now we done got caught up in this. Snow metro me, me, metrosexuality, you know, I mean, so 
you know, I mean, what, what do we expect? We, we now, we as men, we're trying to stand there and act like, hey, we're here, women. We're here. We haven't been here. And now women, they, they definitely been. They, they, they ain't, why do you need us? Why do we need you struggling and I can have? Why do I need you, the little struggling rapper, and I can have Jay-Z? I don't need you. But how many Jay-Z's are there? I guess that's my question. How many Jay-Z's are there? And to take it a step further, I'm going to go back. And I can tell you for a fact, I know of hundreds of black men that I know who wanted to date a black woman. There was an era. Remember the Cosby era? Cosby era. There was a time when in America, you had to be a light-skinned Brother, I was gonna say, say that. Say light skin. Now, like, come on. Be light skin, brother. Long hair. Long hair, long wavy hair. No, you know. no, he's talking about women. He's talking I'm about talk, men. No, I'm talking about men. No, I know you okay, are. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Men. Yeah. I'm saying you had to be a, a certain look. You had to come from a certain family. You had to be a certain way to be able to get a certain type of woman. Do you know how many of those women I know that are single now? How many of those women that married the wrong men? So I think there is a part of that that comes down to the responsibility of of the women and marrying the right man and not overlooking. Sometimes, you know, people have a tendency to be like, he's too. I said this years ago. I used to think, you know, women want a nice man. They just want you to be. No, they don't. No, they don't. You can be polite. You can be too nice. And a woman will get bored with you. But that man that's going to work a good job, that's going to you know, love you, that's going to do all those things. Women had a tendency to overlook a lot of those men that were marriage men. Those were the marriage dudes. And they overlooked them trying to disagree catch a little bit. The, the next guy. I know a lot of people. I'm going to disagree a that. little bit. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to side with Jimmy's take of like. Some of this, and who knows, maybe a higher percentage of it is on us in terms of like, did we really, because this is something I had to really learn, and, and not until late in life that I really understand, like, you can't, in my view, you can't sustain a relationship without God at the head of it. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, I, although raised in the church, although having a lot of uh, belief, I didn't, that wasn't part of my game plan. That wasn't part of my relationship strategy. Religion was something else. Relationship was this over here. It was sex and having a good time and vacation trips and all, all of that. And I separated the two like a lot of people do right now, in my view, with politics. My politics are over here. God is over here. And so they don't and we don't feel like they have to match up. I can be one thing politically and I can be something completely different at church. And and what I think a lot of men where we failed, I'm talking about myself and some of my friends or whatever. We tried to conduct relationships without God and a biblical point of view about relationships. And that's why they failed. And so, cause again, I, I, I'd have my sister, mama, or, you know, female friends listen, watching this and we're like, love a good man. We'd love to have a good man. 
But some of y'all ain't good. Some of y'all, you know, would prefer for me to be at home and for you to be in the strip club. And I mean, that is certainly me at one time in my life. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna have this relationship, but I'm also gonna be out in the streets and doing whatever I want. And you know, if I go out of town somewhere, none of that counts. Anything I do while I'm out of town, that don't count. You didn't see it. Code what does of the it road. Matter? Huh? Code of the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I, don't, I don't think you, maybe, and maybe I'm wrong for saying this, but are we really touching, because you asked earlier, like, are we really going to go there? Are we really going to talk about what, what we really talking about? Go ahead. Most of us, come on, man. Ain't that what we strive for is to get the white girl? A- ain't, that, ain't, that, ain't that how you show your being successful? What well, wasn't that how you said? I, I saw used to see you in Kansas City. You kept you a nice little snowflake on your arm, Jason. And and and, and I'm really not being funny but because no, it seems to me right. like the black man in our in our quest of worrying what the white person thinks about me, we really subliminally try to be like the white man. We want that white woman. Jim, you. Shot that directly at me, and then I, when I say shot, I don't mean negatively. I mean, you, you, you brought that directly to me. And so what, what I can say, Jim, accurate what you're saying, but not accurate in terms of what my motivation is. Jim, if you know me as well as almost anybody, Jim, I have a low tolerance for disagreement. That's not, I'm not saying that. Put as another a word thing. on that disagreement. Put another word on it. You said disagreement. Put another word on it. I have a low tolerance. B.S. B.S. I have a low tolerance for. Disrespect. Well, no, but, but I have a low tolerance. Look, I've told I'm a benevolent dictator. That's what, how I like to describe myself is I'm a benevolent big dictator. And, and I tell anybody, I tell the women in my family, like, hey, look, I'm going to run this. Like me and my mother have gone head up. But I will never back down. I'm going to call the shot. The only thing I want you to complain about is if my dictatorship isn't working for you, if you're not getting the things that you need to make you happy, then complain about my dictatorship. Don't complain just because I'm a dictator. Because I've been placed on this planet to be a lion and to be dominant. And so if my domination and me being a lion has you with everything that you need and want, don't complain just because you don't get to call the shots. And so I have a very low tolerance for disagreements. And so if there are not the shared values, I'm going to bounce. I I could sit here and I'm not going to call the woman by name, but... Uh, I, the, I don't, how would I describe, I don't want to call, dated a woman seriously, black woman, very attractive, like her, Julie Wiley introduced me to her, a friend of mine I went to high school with that lived in Kansas City. If, if we called up this woman right now, she could tell you, because I mean, this is the way that I, she did some shit where we would be out to dinner and she would do some shit in, in a, out to dinner that I just like, this is crazy. And I left. 
She's sitting, <laughs> she's sitting at the table. Right. I'm in my car at home. And, you know, she, we were, she was really attractive. We, could, we kept trying it over and over. And there had to be at least three different times where I le- I'm going to the bathroom and I left. I have a low, low tolerance for BS. People tell you, I leave movies. If, if something crazy goes on in a movie that I don't like, I get up and bounce. And so what I, because I can get, I, can, I was just sitting here thinking of another example. We were headed out to dinner and got pulled over by the police. Mm-mm. And policeman comes up. I got, as I always do, I got my license registration. Before he gets to the, the door, my hand is hanging out the window with my license and registration. And the first thing he hears from me is, sir, I'm sorry uh, for making you pull me over. How can I help you? You ain't got to apologize to him. Re- leaned across <laughs> over me. <laughs> Why you pull us over? We didn't do nothing. He stopped you because you black. <laughs> Jim, and as soon as... You got tinted windows. As soon as the policeman was done with his business, I turned my vehicle around, dropped her ass off at home, I have a low, low tolerance for a lot of the things. And, and I don't, I can't. So what you see from me a lot of times is in my behavior is like, I'm looking for people with shared values that, that won't put me in a spot where I have to teach them because they won't like how I teach because I'm a dictator. And so I, try, I tended to date people that saw things my way and would only complain. And I'm open. We're like, when I do something wrong, tell me about it, and I'm going to course correct, apologize, and move on. But it's in me. My father put it in me. I'm going to call the shots. My question is this, and I think this will be interesting to get into when we have our, our, yeah. you know, the guest on to hear from a female's perspective, because the argument that so many black females will make is then the reason why you have, you know, and I, I, we've had this all had this discussion, whether it's with family, whether it's, you know, ex-classmates, you know, whatever the group is you're in, when you're sitting and talking to black, you know, women, the discussion turns into, you just want somebody that's gonna lay down and let you do whatever you wanna do. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay, so you just said it, but that's what, that is what people say, and I say it not like that. I hate to argue. I mean, we can sit and discuss and debate, but I don't wanna sit and argue with anybody about anything. I want somebody who I can have a discussion with, and I? I think if you have, if you start any relationship already aligned, whether you know, you're talking about religious, if you're talking about morals, if you're talking about your mindset, I don't want somebody who I'm gonna argue with. I don't want somebody who I have to fight with all the time. So it's not that I want somebody who's gonna just lay down, but I want somebody who understands me and knows. I mean, sometimes you gotta work me. Sometimes you gotta know, and a good woman will know how to get out of you what she wants and make you think you're doing what, <laughs> what, what you wanna do. So to me, that's a huge part of it. It's not wanting to, I don't want somebody that's just gonna lay down. I want somebody who's gonna speak their mind. I used to, I used to be that person. I wanted somebody, you know, one of my boys said, you know, you, you would date people who, and not give them a voice. 
you ignored that person's voice. I don't do that. It's just, I, I did. I would ignore their voice. But then what I learned was it's not that. But I want you to know me and I want you to know where I'm coming from and understand, because if you go into it with that mindset and you listen to each other and you do those things and have the mutual respect that whether you're dating a black woman, a white woman or anyone, if you have those basic things, it makes the relationship so much easier. And I think in a lot of situations, especially in black males, black women, it doesn't exist. I think it doesn't exist. I'm gonna throw two names at you. Eddie Murphy and Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, Michael Jordan, both of them married to black women, went off to have illustrious careers and made millions of dollars. And what did they turn around and marry? Okay. Jordan's woman's Colombian, but go ahead. Whatever. Yeah. Let's be honest to what both of y'all just said, what we said right here. Both of y'all just said about the type of woman that you don't want. Now, you, you saying the type of woman that you don't want, but you ain't saying it. I mean, be real. We, we been, let's keep it real. You, you saying the type of woman you don't want. The type of woman you're talking about this sounds like my mama, sounds like my sister, sounds like most black women I know. Do you think it's tied into that? Into what? In the fact that, you know... I love my mom, I love you, but my I'm mo- telling you, we my as black mother, My mother would ride you. My mother, ro- you know, she rode us about stuff. And as much as I love her, I was like, I don't want that. I don't want to always, you know, sometimes I'm like, mama, stop. Mama, just please stop. I'm telling, I'm saying that, that we as black, I'm saying black women like that, yah, 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 they like that drama. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm trying to say, let's be real. I, 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 what we I, get, I get what you're saying, Jim, but I want to go back to what I said about culture. And then I want to clarify a couple things so that, you know, I'm just not crushed here uh, for being Archie Bunker. But, <laughs> uh, I want to go back to culture. The culture has celebrated the strong black woman. And gotta be strong, gotta be. And, and literally what you will hear, like, you just don't want to be challenged. You don't want to challenge. And I have consistently said since probably 1994, five, no, I really don't want to challenge. No. My job is challenging. When I come home, I don't want to be challenged. And so that does not mean I don't want to be corrected on mistakes. That does not mean I don't want to hear your perspective on, hey, blah, 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 we should try this. Do I d- I'm open to all of that. And I'm, o- again, anybody, if you watch me in the media, you follow my column, you follow, I'm really capable of like, damn, I'm wrong and I'm dead wrong. Let me change your right on this. That is me. But it comes from a place of shared values. And so the Bible, when it is driving your perspective on relationships, there's not a debate about who the leader is going to be. It's because it's already been defined for you in the Bible. Right. And so, again, so these people that are very comfortable say, my religion's over here. My relationship is here. My politics are here. I don't, the, and again, I have not always lived this way. Anybody that knows me, I've copped to who I am and, you know, 
what I was like to do or used to like to do. Uh, but the buy it has to all for me have to flow from the biblical perspective and from just man's nature. If you can find male species who don't want to be leaders mm. instinctively, that's part of them. Go ahead. They're beta males. Go marry them. I, maybe you're happy with them, but I'm not a beta male. I don't want a female who wants to be the alpha in the relationship. And I want somebody who can look and be like, well, hey, this guy is reliable. He's very honest, very transparent. Uh, he's a great provider. Certainly not going to be violent <laughs> in any kind of way with me. Uh, going to be responsible and I can actually trust his word if he gives me because I would virtually I would pretty much rather die than not live up to my word. And if I don't live up to my word, you're going to get a big apology and you're also going to get uh, some kind of retribution or some kind of sacrifice, something to say, yeah, I screwed this up. And here's this to show you that I'm sincere about my apology. Uh, but I am going to be the leader and we have built a culture. Black culture is dominated by the matriarchy and female leadership. And that's why I think we can't sustain relationships because we have, well, that's the Bible. The Bible's outdated. We don't believe in that anymore. It's, it's, it's women's time to be the leader and Keisha Lance Bottoms and Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris and Oprah and everybody else is gonna show us the way. I just, I just don't believe in that. And I have a low tolerance for people that, it's a, not, not, I don't have a low, I'm perfectly fine working with them, going out to dinner with my sister, my mom. I love my mother, she's a matriarch. I love her to death. But she's calling no shots as it relates to me. That's what, at, inside her home, she, that I pay for, she can call all the shots there. No problem. But you bring any of that to me, there's going to be some friction and a problem. That's, that's my standard. Jason, I, I, I just heard everything you just said. And yeah. With this conversation we're having, let me ask this, because we talk about what men should do and men should behave this way and men should treat a woman this way. We just talked about what our women are being taught in the last 20 years. 60 years, but go ahead. Exactly. But our women aren't being taught that. You're not being taught. You're not even being taught meet your man 50-50. You know, you, you, know, you, you are pretty much being taught you need to have it 90% your way and 10% your way if he wants to be with you. You know, women nowadays, they, 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 they want a husband, but they don't want a man. See there. So I'm, I'm saying to you, I think one of the problems that we have is we talk about men. Like I said, we as men. Oh, I'm here for you. But I don't think the women are taking them classes that's available to them on how to be a good woman. They know how to be a good matriarch, but they don't you know, you don't want to meet us halfway on our class because you think you got it all. Well, I'm going to defend them and say. I don't think we have been worthy of being fo uh, followed based on our behavior. I include myself in that 
And so, because like, I've always been a patriarch and a leader, but have I done all the things necessary to be a leader and to have people follow me? And there's some things I have, but there's been other things I've been a complete and utter failure on, and people can see through that and be like, man, Jason's on that BS. I think here in recent years, I have tried to improve and be worthy of that leadership position. And, and, and now that I'm out there looking in a more mature way, all I'm looking at shared values. And, and uh, let me be a man, I'm going to be responsible, I'm going to be a leader worth following, uh, but you gotta let me be a man. And I'm just, I used to tell people this, and at this time, this, it sounded crazy. Uh, at the time I was saying it because I wasn't worthy of what I was asking for, but now I think I am, but I used to tell people, well, don't you believe in compromise? No, I don't. I'm not meeting you halfway to stupidity. I'm just not doing it. And, and so I, 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 I'm, I really, I, I really don't believe in compromising on core values and principles and just, hey, let's just do it your way just so you can feel good about it. I want to do things that are going to be successful. And so I, I don't, and again, it's not that I have all the answers and there's a lot that, you know, I can learn and, and again, but anyway, that, that's not good with compromise, and I certainly aren't, I'm not looking for a challenge. I'm not looking to compete, wrestle with a woman, because again, I, I go back to the story about same woman I get pulled over with, or I can never, I'll never, this is the kind of lunacy, and this woman had a master's degree, had a decent job, uh, but in her mind, because we were, we were younger then, in her mind, she thought she just had it going on. She was making 80000 a year. And, and she t- literally did, this is comical, she told me, and I probably have told you the story, but she told you know, I could take care of you. <laughs> and, I, and I just, I was, it just, Did you look, did you say? <laughs> you see how big I am? I'm hungry, what are you talking about? Hey, how much money do you think you make? <laughs> literally. <laughs> I was just like, you don't completely misread me if you think I'm interested in anybody. You know what it takes to fill this suit out? <laughs> but anybody taking care of me. But literally, the, other, the delusion was, I was like, do you not see how I'm living? You think I'm doing this on credit cards and food stamps? I mean, you, I, I don't know if I, 80, I might use 80,000 in toilet paper this year. Right. <laughs> and he's almost not lying. <laughs> no, he, no, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> And never go to the store and get it. Just never, <laughs> never. Or order and it'll be outside. He the don't door. wash his own drawers. No. He just buy a whole new, no. just a whole new pack. <laughs> but anybody, are, are y'all done or am I done or what? Are, are you done? I mean, not, I mean, I can talk about this all day. All day. Good for all, good for Rich Paul. Good for Rich Paul. Good for Adele. But I think at some point for the black family to survive, and I want the black family to survive, we have to find a way to fix it. We're gonna have to, because I, and, I, and I'm gonna add this, I have a, you know, I have a daughter, I have a son, 
and I look at my daughter and I look at her friends, attractive girls, nice, educated, but the people, the guys that they're meeting, you know, don't want family, don't want relationships. They have three, four, five, six girls because they don't have to. What they're based in, a lot of them have grown up without that father figure to be able to say, hey, son, this is what you need to do. This is how you're going to be a man. So they're just out there doing whatever. So you have the guys that hop on early and get married, marry their little college girlfriend or sweetheart or whatever. But then you have a whole different segment of men that are out here that are like, I've got a month. I've got some money. Got a couple cars. Life is good. I'm just going to date whoever, whenever, however. And I just don't know how that is going to allow us to sustain families. You got a whole bunch of women out here on Instagram. They're showing you I ain't got no intention upon sustaining no family. Well, there's also trust me, there's some women that will hear that and say that, well, there's a bunch of us at church. Y'all not there. And, you know, we're not on Instagram. We're actually at church or we're on our job. Y'all not there because you know, I've been meaning to call and ask y'all this. I hate to get sidetracked, but who cares? Uh, I've, all, I've been meaning to call and ask y'all this because, you know, I went several years, Jim knows, without driving. Right. And, and when I was out in L.A., I never drove. And I, you know, I moved here to Tennessee and just Uber's not the same. So I, I'm driving again now for the past six months. And one of the main things, and this is just an obscure little point, but it piggybacks off of what Jim, or the point I'm making to Jim, is, you know, when I go to convenience stores now to get gas or I stop through to get some bottled water or whatever, I almost see no black men working at a convenience store. They're dominated, at least here in Nashville, by black women. And again, the... When I used to drive regularly, that's not my remembrance. Like working in a convenience store, gas station, whatever, that's where I used to see a lot of young black men. It seemed like it was almost too dangerous. Or it, but now I see virtually no black men at any convenience store where it's dominated by black women. And the thought that has come across my mind is like, even the entry level jobs, we're not getting those. We're not applying for them or we're not getting them. What if, we're not even at the entry level. And so I literally have gone through these convenience stores. I was like, well, who are these young black women? Who are they dating? Because their peers aren't even at this entry level of work. Why don't I see them? And I, I literally, I've been meaning to ask y'all, like, have y'all noticed this when you go to a gas station or whatever, or convenience store? I'm just, I don't see any black men, black boys. Well, first of all, the black boys probably got the black girl's car, and he'll be back to pick her up after he get off from work. <laughs> you talking and about that girl, sister, right? And that girl has a child, and that's why she's there working. See, we as men, and I, I, my 17 years of working in the jail, we won't go and take a job for $12 an hour, but we'll come to jail and hurry up and beg for a job mopping the floor to get some coffee and some candy bars to last you for a week. 
You won't go out there and work for $12 an hour, but you'll come to jail and mop some floors and scrubs some toilets for some candy bars and coffee. For a honey bun. For honey buns. You won't go out there and work for the, for the white man for $12 an hour, but you come and bug, bug the black man for some coffee and a, and a honey bun. Yeah. All right, guys, I'm done with this conversation for today. <laughs> for today. We're going to come back at it tomorrow. I think y'all got me out. I done said a lot today. I, I think it's safe to say that um, you might have lost a few of your black female followers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I mean, can I ask you a question real yeah, quick? And you, y- y'all can cut this ahead, off. But we, no, 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 don't cut it no, off. Listen, listen because I, I don't know. I asked this, I asked this question yeah, go ahead. at 16. We, we were talking to a guest on the, on the phone at 16. At 610 Sports Radio back in Kansas City. And I asked yeah. this athlete who's a Hall of Fame athlete now. We know this individual. And I asked him why, what was the deal that the black athletes were all turning to white women? And I don't know if you remember, but this, ath- this athlete told me, he said, hey man, if you ever see me walking in the mall holding hands with a black woman, <laughs> You better believe I know you. she done stole something from me and I'm holding her until the police get there. <laughs> Why did you do Shannon Sharp like that? Oh, oh damn, I didn't so say that. He's so wrong. <laughs> Not lying, but you're wrong. <laughs> But you're wrong. I'm gonna tell you why I, I said I'm already t- I've told the story. Damn, I didn't say I didn't say that. Man. I mean, I know you don't like me, but Shay, I didn't say that, man. I've told that story before, so but I don't know why you did him like that. I saw him at the airport not too long ago and he wasn't lying. <laughs> He wasn't lying. But but he want to be the leader of the culture. (laughs) That's my point. We have, the culture is broken. It can't sustain anything. Anything any good. And so people, all these people pretending, Again, it sounds like I'm taking a pot shot at Rich Paul or not, but but I, I just see a lot of people, Colin Kaepernick, everybody, oh, I'm down with the culture and I'm pro-black. Not at home, not in the bedroom. Not, you know, we want to do a lot of symbolic things to say how down I am for black people, but ain't nobody getting down on their knee and say, offering a ring up. I'm pro-black. I, I I hold my woman's weave while she getting ready to get in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? We're not. I don't want to follow this up. We're gonna. We're not gonna do the Bible story because I don't want to. I I I can't transition into the Bible story from this. Uh, we're, you know what we're gonna do right now? What are we gonna do right now, J Dub? We're gonna end the show. What we gonna do right here is go back. All the way back. <laughs> we're gonna back end the, the time. We're gonna end the show right now. Play some tomorrow. Speaking of Adele, I had a tomorrow works at uh, Wally's. And Dude, are you really trying to? Now look, I, I love tomorrow, but now you can't. What? I can't what? Dude, you you know you said that a little bit wrong. You know if you had you an extra seventy or eighty million, you could have had a chance to get on it, right? Adele. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know she went to the highest bidder, right? <laughs> I don't believe it. She got played. She don't need no money. All right. Uh, yeah, they're playing tomorrow. We're, we're, we're done. I hope. Hey, D, tomorrow's a cold piece. I'm telling you, she's nice. Well, tomorrow, we'll be back on this topic, and I hope you're sticking with me. Uh, don't abandon. Don't jump ship. Did I say stupid things today? No, no, you did. You did pretty good. You only said shit like three times. <laughs> All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Regrets and our decisions, we don't want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom.